0: It is the top of the hour, so we're gonna get started. Welcome to the global math department, everyone. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight we're going to be hearing from Annalise Record about developing flexibility through facts. And I know we've already had several people introduce themselves in the chat, but you have if you haven't done that yet, please feel free to do so, telling us what you teach, where you teach and what your Twitter, Twitter handle is, if you have one. So I'm going to take a moment and type that in the chat myself. Feel free to share what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. Now we definitely have people from all around the world with us tonight. Welcome everyone. Before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available about 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting, I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. And tonight our speaker is Annalise Record. Annalise is an independent elementary math consultant who travels the country working with teachers and students to build positive math journeys for all. She's been an educator for over 20 years in the roles of classroom teacher, math coach, and now consultant. She lives in Concord, New Hampshire with her husband and their fur baby, Marty McFly. Her passion for math is only exceeded by her love of everything Disney. Welcome, Annalise.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we're all good to go. So, welcome, everyone. I'm so thrilled to be with you here tonight. Um, I want we're talking tonight about fluency and how we can build a foundation of flexible uh, flexibility starting with the basic facts, but extending them all to the grade level standards to really ensure every single child has a positive math journey and a connected math journey, providing that foundation of thought that will follow them all the way through. So welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. You can see here on the screen that um, I do have social media ways you can reach out to me. I I do a lot of work. I found it to be my favorite professional math learning community is the ones online. So I I do work within Facebook and and Twitter and on Instagram as well. So feel free to follow me there and chime in. I I do um, only post math things on these profiles. So you'll notice that growth mindset tree uh, on Facebook, that logo um, in my profile. That's my business one. So that's my math one. You'll only see math postings from me um, on that. So And also down below, you'll see that there is a link for a padlet of resources. That's a web page. All you have to have is that link. And in fact, Lee has um, done a sticky note at the top of our chat bar with that link for you there. So you'll want to bookmark that link. I do add more resources as I learn about new things and new free resources. Um, I do add it to the Padlet. So it's a dynamic webpage. Um, and, uh And just make sure you bookmark that. But I would suggest you not look at it right now because I will lose you. <laughs> you won't listen to what I'm saying now. You'll be exploring the Padlet. It's a bunch of wonderful resources for you. Um, and to just let you know that that's there. So tonight when I'm speaking about anything, if I say it's on the Padlet, which is almost everything that I share, there is a link to it on that uh, Padlet, which is just a web page full of resources for you. So, all right. So a little bit about my journey. And I do I do know I am still on this journey. The more that I learn, the more I realize I have to learn. So it's just a never-ending process of learning. And I'm, I'm immersed in this world of elementary mathematics. So the k five k six spectrum um but there's so, still so much more that i want to learn about and, and want to hone my craft right Is the craft of the art of teaching so this journey i began being a grade five teacher my undergraduate was in sociology so i wasn't certified to teach i went back to my master's degree in order to teach and i was certified k8 but i know the only class they had me take in my graduate program was math and literature i had had college classes in math so i guess they thought well she doesn't need a math class um, she will go to math and literature, which is a wonderful course, but I really don't feel like I came out certified teaching K 8 any more qualified to teach kindergartners about math than eighth graders, right? I think the assumption was you give it a textbook of your district and you follow the textbook, which is what I did, and I taught the way that I had learned. And that um, is will be all the best we can do. We do the best we can until my, my Angelo says, you do the best you can until you learn more. And once you learn more, you'll do better. And I just, I live by that every day. So I'm so grateful that my district gave me the opportunity to be a math coach. And that journey of becoming a math coach K-5 was the beginning of my immersion into this really understanding the development and the learning trajectories um, of early numeracy and into the whole um, grade levels, how, how everything connected all together. I had never made those connections before. So it's very, you know, very thrilled to have had that role. Um, and then we, um, all the way through other things here, you know, all these different uh, things I've been involved in, working with lots of different pockets of people, with their pre-service teachers I taught some math methods classes. I work with parents now as well as the, the educators in schools and the kids. And it's all about creating positive math journeys for everyone. I do present for the Bureau of Education and Research uh, seminars across the country, and I'm an independent consultant, so I also travel on my own. And um, very gratefully, I've written a book together with Dr. Nikki Newton uh, on fluency. So I'm thrilled tonight to share with you some ideas about how we can build fact um, flu- flexibility of thinking through the basic facts. And I do want to say out first off here in, in this presentation, as I'm sharing everywhere I go in all my presentations, Ted Lasso is one of my favorite shows. It just came out a couple of years ago. It won all the Emmy Awards this last Emmy um, season. Um, but there's a, a wonderful moment in the show where he as a main character of Ted Lasso has been underestimated his whole life. Um, and he began with wondering why, because he proves them all wrong. So why was he ever underestimated? And he talks about a moment where he sees a quote by Walt Whitman that says to be curious and not judgmental. And he said he realized in that moment that the underestimation of him had nothing to do with him. It was the perspective of the people who were judging him. And many of them were judging and they weren't curious about ever talking to him and asking about things, right? And I liken this so much in my world as a consultant of not only with the kids, the children, I think that we, there are definitely times that we end up judging them by their performance on standardized tests or on time tests, right? And so the, we assume certain things by that. And we not, curious about what their thinking is and how they're figuring it out. And I think there's so much of a wealth of information we can learn about when we talk to kids about their thinking. So I'll be sharing that tonight with you as well. Uh, but I also feel that this is true. I, I was, um, I was interviewing a student in multiplication math running record about his thinking. And I got to the times five facts and he'd even presented to me as a student who was a struggling learner. He wasn't uh, on par with his, with his peers in fifth grade. And I asked him five, nine times five. And he said, a long time. He finally said it was a 45. And as always, look what, what would your brain just do? How did you figure it out? And he said, well, I have the nine to 4.5. And then that times 10 is 45. Now I was modeling this interview protocol with 10 other teachers around the room. And he was given to us before he came in the room as a student who was a struggling learner, didn't know what to do with them in the fifth grade classroom. And I just thought if we just ask kids about their thinking, <laughs> we can learn so much, right? We can't judge kids based on other things other than, we we don't want to judge anyone ever anyway, but um, we want to be curious, right? And I feel the same thing is true in my professional life as a consultant, that I I come with zero judgment to anyone, but I am curious. I'm going to ask some questions, but it's not in a a realm of judgment at all. So, and I know for myself, these are a lot of things I'm sharing with you tonight that I did not know about when I was a fifth grade teacher. It's been this journey that I've been on as I'm learning and growing, and I take up any opportunity I can to learn from wonderful other math educators, and I'm linked to them a lot in the the, the social media world to find out about it on Twitter or on Facebook of these learning opportunities. I'm just so grateful to continue my learning. So tonight I wanna talk about the definition of fluency. What is fluency? So we all can be on the same page. And then the heart of the thinking behind addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Starting with the basic facts and how that can extend down the road to decimals and fractions to show that connection for you of the power of this work that we can do now when i mentioned my resources are on a padlet this is all that i mean it is a website there are columns and each column has links that go down i can link on here videos and documents and web pages and all these kinds of resources that are there almost every single thing you'll see is free there's no cost to any of these things um and so i just want to make sure i be out on like a conduit to you of these resources that are out there to help support you on your journey uh, of, of starting this math fact um, understanding through conceptual understanding uh, to create that, 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 that fluency as we go along with it. So if I say it's on the Padlet, that's all that I mean. It's right at the top of the, of our chat. So fluency, you know, as I cross the country and ask everyone, like, what, was your, what words come to mind when you think of fluency? I usually get about 10 synonyms for the word fast, but that's not fluency, right? I think that we have a thinking that fluency means speed and accuracy, right? That we do want to have Uh, accurate answers. I've had definitely students give me answers quickly, and they're wrong. But we certainly want that accuracy. But fluency is flexibility, efficiency, and accuracy. So the the relative speed element is wrapped up in that efficiency. If I'm thinking about um, and using elegant strategies with number relationships, I'm going to be faster. I'm not counting one by one, or I'm not skip counting by eights up to 64 if I've done eight times eight, right? So the relative speed... We certainly never want to send a message to students that you need to be fast at math to be considered good at math. That is not true at all. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of, of not ever in unintentionally or intentionally sending a message that you need to be fast to be considered good. It's not true at all. We want to build this flexibility, a variety of strategies, building a number of relationships. And then the efficiency is to choose the strategies that work best for the numbers that we're given. And we want to be thinking accurately, of course, as well. So how can we be working on these Um, within the realm of math facts and all four operations with all of our kiddos. When I ask you for a moment to think about any words or emotions that come to mind when you think about your own childhood journey learning of math, I'm curious what kind of words, if you could type it into the chat bar, what words and emotions get evoked when I ask you to think about your childhood journey learning math? Yeah, Gina, I, I totally agree that a lot of educators define fluency as the speed and accuracy, um, in which case that's why people think timed tests are a valid measure of fluency, but it's, it's, it's not doing what they want it to do. Uh, and it's certainly not measuring all the aspects of fluency for sure. So yeah, some of these words here, boring, dread, memorizing, and memorizing meaning that I believe what you're meaning by that memorizing is being that rote memorization of here's a math fact learn it what's the answer right so flashcards usually has been the way we kind of try to get it into our brain so that we can we can learn that fact so that when we think about a math fact our, we we um are waiting for that number to pop into our mind right so yeah i just see someone saying that it was easy so it's not everyone that had a, a, a negative journey with math but in my um in my work with with teachers across the country the um prevalent. Here, here's an example of a wordle that, that that happens. About 80% of the people that I meet, whether it's teachers, whether it's pre-service teachers, whether it's parents, or um, whether it's um, Uber drivers that are driving me around, 80% of them, when they find out what I do for a living, they do share with me very easily how much they did not enjoy math. It was not enjoyable for them growing up. Um, and they felt that math was not for them. It's the first time that a lot of people begin thinking that math is not for them because they're not passing those time tests, the traditional way that it's been uh, assessed. And because they couldn't do it fast, then math wasn't for them, right? And so when I think, my, my heart breaks when, when I see the, the, these kinds of words here, these words of like anxiety, frustration, right? But also what gets me is like a word of despair, right, and tears, like that's not associated. Those kind of words aren't typically associated with other subjects that we learned in school, right? With reading or science or social studies, but these get all the time associated with math. And so you wonder like what went wrong? What what is it that caused this to people start feeling like math was not them? They didn't have a math brain. They weren't able to lose it. And honestly, the vast, vast majority of people tell me it was those time tests. They tell me about the bulletin boards that are intended to be a wall of fame they're intended with good intentions to increase intrinsic motivation of the kids. And instead, they're walls of shame. And right, they're making, they're reminding students who are not, not successful that they're not being successful and that, that math is separating out kids who can do math and kids that can't. And these adults, 40-year-olds telling me about the hot air balloons that didn't rise up into the sky because they didn't learn the times tables or cars going around a racetrack or the worst, I think, of all, I think, is the ice cream scoops. Uh, that they create ice cream scoops and Sunday toppings, and at the end of the year, um, the kids get to eat the Sunday that they technically earned. But I just feel for the kids who don't even get a scoop of ice cream, and they get to they they watch their their peers uh, eat a whole Sunday, Right? It just is just not it's just not right. It's just not okay. So when we think about, um, sorry, it's, it's just for that quote for a second. So I was in the room when Marilyn Burns said, "Time tests had a birth; they can have a death." And I just. Absolutely love that. And, and TJ, now you're here tonight. I love this tweet out that you did. We were in the same session together with John Sia Giovanni when John said, You can't fatten a pig by weighing it. You can't build fluency by only assessing it. And I know that's what I did in my fifth grade classroom. I gave the time test. I did nothing to help my fifth graders develop their fluency. I just affirmed every time I gave it a test. The kids who, who felt good about themselves, felt, felt great about themselves, and the kids that were getting their needing improvement continue to get their need improvement, and I did nothing to help them. I didn't know what I could do other than learn them harder, flashcards. I didn't have anything in my back pocket. So I want to share with you the, the thinking behind these different four operations as well as resources that you have that are out there that are free to help you on this journey. You know, the growth mindset messages, the work of Joe Bowler uh, in Stanford, the, the, the science behind our brain that we have these connections in our brain that we're forging all the time. There are synapses that are firing and we have that ability to grow and change our brains. So I liken it to a beach path that if you go down a beach path once, the grass would regrow. But if you go down that beach path over and over again, it becomes a permanent pathway. That's what we're doing in the brains of our students. We're building these pathways in their brains so they can connect what they already know to what they're needing to learn. And as they practice and and, and practice, it becomes a permanent pathway that we can then connect new knowledge to, right? That's how the brain learns and grows. And so that's what we wanna do. We wanna give the students this opportunity to build these pathways. And I love this quote by Joe Bowler, that different achievement levels of our students is a result of the varying levels of experiences creating pathways in the brain. It says nothing about their potential for all students to learn, right? I, I do hear some teachers sometimes saying, oh, he's a red kid, he'll always be a red kid. And I just wanna scream, cause he's seven right? We can't write off this child's math journey at seven because of any kind of testing we did that determines he's in the red, right? No, every child can learn, but we've got to give them those experiences um, to to have those uh, those connections made for them. So now typical math fact journey that our students go through is typically when we think about adding and subtracting, right? Kids begin counting all, but they also then begin counting on. And, And a lot of our kids are kept in that level of thinking of counting on, and they're asked to memorize their facts, so when they're doing their math facts and typically um, when we ask them questions and they've gone down a route of memorizing them, as you can see, this little girl, I love her face. That moment was so precious. Um, they wait for the number to pop in their mind. They answer to what you've asked them. They wait for the number to pop in their brain and then they just tell it to you. And for me, the whole issue then is like what happens in that moment, right? And traditionally, we have given them time test to assess how they're doing on that journey. So that one journey is what a lot of people have gone through, is what I implemented in my classroom uh, before I became a math coach and learned better ways of doing it. But I want to share with you another journey, which is a journey that involves building number sense, number relationships, using quantities within numbers and becoming flexible with that thinking. So, for example, to have a, a math tool talk where you have like a rec and rec, you can see here, or to ask the students, how many beads are there and how do you know? And students might say, well, oh, first of all, students might count them all up. So it tells me they're in counting all phase of reasoning. Then other students might say, well, I began with the six on the first row and I counted on seven more. So I know they're in a counting on phase of reasoning. But other students, we can move into this additive reasoning of number relationships of quantities within the two add-ins. So some students like the color coding with the five to say, well, I know five and five is 10. And I have one more in the six and two more in the seven. So I can rename this into 10 plus three, which is a lot easier for my brain. And I don't have to count on that three. But yet other students might say, well, I know my doubles facts. And if I know that six and six already make a 12, I don't have to count any of those. I can reason that six plus seven must be one more than that. It must be the 13. I've also had students tell me they knew seven plus seven was 14. So seven plus six is one less. So they're using their doubles to help them. And yet other students might say, well, I'm going to break apart that six and give three of it to the seven. because I know seven and three make a 10? And I can then also rename this into 10 plus three, right? So it's going to be uh, easier, more efficient for my brain. So that kind of developing that flexibility and allowing students to have the freedom to choose efficient strategies that work for them. How can we have them practice that thinking? Well, in the context of games, we can be observing them while they're playing their games. We can be listening to their thinking, how they're figuring it out. And then how can we find out where they are on that journey? I absolutely love Dr. Nikki Newton's math running records. They are an interview protocol. They are free. There's one version for each operation. They're available for free on her site. I'll show you a resource in a second. Um, But it's us talking to kids about their thinking. And when we know, when we build our own math minds to know that trajectory of that learning progression, we can see exactly where they need to begin working, what set of facts they want them working on. And within those set of facts, where are they on that counting all, counting on, using derived strategies thats the good reasoning thinking on their way to mastery, right? So, uh, so that's the journey I want to suggest and show you a little bit, a peek into each of the four operations and how we can find out what the kids are thinking to help us create instructional responses in our classrooms, both whole group and small group, and individual practice with the kids that can help every single student move forward on their fluency journey. So this is what it all comes down to for me. This image of this little girl that I was interviewing, I I, would, I asked her questions and she would do this. She would look off into space and she would wait for the number to pop in their mind or her mind. And I'd ask her, so what did you think about? She's like, well, I just, I looked off and then, oh. Uh, I heard six that like you can watch their face like, oh, it, it pops into their mind. And so for me, the heart of the work that I do is what happens in that moment? Does the student then tell me I didn't learn it yet? I don't know it. If, if the number does not pop in their mind, of course, we want all of our students to have that pop in their mind they've, because they've because they put it to long term memory so They can retrieve it from their memory. But what happens if they don't Right? Do they have a disposition of, well, I can't figure that out for you. Sorry, I don't know. Or do they revert back to some counting or skip counting of multiplication? They're going back to a previous phase of reasoning. We want them to be able to fall back on the thinking and reasoning in the context of what they're working on. So if they're doing adding and subtracting, we want them to fall back on additive reasoning, like using doubles and and, and near dou- near doubles and the tens, versus going back to counting, right? If it's multiplication and division, we want them to think multiplicatively and not skip count, which is that additive way of thinking. So it's all about that moment. What do the students do when the numbers don't pop in their mind? They've not put it in long-term memory. What is their disposition? I love this graphic. Um, Pam Harris put this graph it together. And it really was transformational for me to see this in a visual way in this. This is the K-12 journey of our students. So students begin in that counting phase of reasoning from birth into typically kindergarten level. The whole world of kindergarten is counting and cardinality. So all that, all that sophistication, and there is a world of early numeracy going on down there. (laughs) That is crazy complicated and, and so much expertise needed for that But within that world of counting, we have them counting on, we have them counting on from the larger addend, even if it comes second, right, all that kind of sophistication. And that's totally applicable for those those children at that level of thinking, right? But of the thinking comes into play in grades one and two. We want to help the students move toward reasoning with groups of numbers within each addend. For example, the doubles to help us, or the um, the bridging to make a ten. So we're breaking apart numbers and reassociating them well in ways that are easier for our brain. And we're not doing that counting anymore. We're thinking about in that additive reasoning. As our students move into grade three to five and work on multiplicative concepts, multiplication and division. We want them to be thinking multiplicatively, which is part of the journey is that skip counting as part of that journey. But we don't want to leave our kids there. We don't want me when we ask five facts, if they don't know any five fact that they skip count by fives starting at five to get up to forty five it's just inefficient, right? So we want to make sure we're helping them be be having that moment. If I don't know it, I can think multiplicatively. Uh, Grade six to eight is at proportional reasoning band, and then high school is at functional reasoning. So I just, I've loved this chart, and I think it explains so much when our our middle school students are not being successful in that content. When you think about what they're thinking is in that content, it could be skip counting with fractions to get an equivalent fraction, right? Like it's just This is really is a helpful graphic for me uh, to be able to to think about that development. Now, on the padlet of resources that I've given you, I have created a chart from the research of what this developmental trajectory is for each of the operations. This is what we want to be aware of as we're doing an interview with a child. I love the math running records because it's all research based by Dr. Nikki. Um, But we're listening for these thinking and this whole cycle here, this journey, resets with every set of new facts so it's not just in one level of thinking like they do this they might be have mastered all their facts within 10 but then you ask them a six plus seven and they go back to counting all (laughs) i've seen that happen so it's being aware of this trajectory Um, and it's wonderful to share with parents as well so parents understand this so many of our parents think that math facts are just to be memorized and that there isn't any other thinking to go on but just to let you get you know a little insight here of the the counting all versus counting on Um, And then typically kids have been asked to go off and memorize and that I would love students to all have these in their long term memory. But it's not working. A lot of students aren't doing that. And they begin thinking they're not math people. Right. So if we can go down this journey and explore these number relationships, then if we give them one outside the range of math facts, like an 18 plus four, their disposition will be. Well, I don't know it, but I can figure it out for you. And they can use a good additive reasoning strategy, like to make the nearest 10, right? It's all about creating that whole math journey for them. So, Dr. Nikki wrote the book, uh, Math Running Records in Action. Again, it's a free protocol to be able to, uh, to interview with the kids. We've got tons of resources. I've been involved with her over many years of, of helping support people who are implementing these and consulting in districts to help train teachers because it's all about us all knowing these trajectories of learning. So, it's really about learning about early numeracy. But you can get the protocols, the interview uh, sheets, on her site, mathrunningrecords.com. Lots of resources for you on there. That's where you can get the protocols. There's, again, only one for each operation, intended to be like three times a year, touching base with the kids. Um, I began our Math Running Records Facebook group about five years ago. Now we have about 17,000 people in there. So there are lots of other people out in the world that want to share ideas and resources and answer questions and everything. And please feel free to feel comfortable to go in there. Dr. Nikki and I also do lots of live webinars that get recorded and put in the group as well. So there's just tons of, of resources for you in that Facebook group. Now, I do want to mention before going into each of the four operations, just the the difference between strategies and models. So strategies are what we do with the numbers, how we're going to work with the numbers to find our answer. So, for example, in addition, I might count on. That's my strategy. I'll start with one, the larger addend, and I'll count on. Another strategy might be I use my doubles facts to help me. And another one might be that bridge 10 strategy as some possibilities. But I can model for you that thinking in a variety of ways that are concrete, pictorial, and abstract. So using a 10 frame isn't a strategy, it's a model to make our thinking visible to others of what our strategy was, what did we do to solve that mathematics. It's a really important distinction. I do see a lot of anchor charts in classrooms of what's your strategy, and the things that are listed aren't strategies, they're models. Like I can use a hundreds chart, I can use this, but those aren't strategies, <laughs> they're models. So just want to make sure I touch base on that, that these models can be concrete, physical manipulatives, they can be pictorial, open number lines and things, and they can be even be equations. It's about how we make that thinking that we did visible to others. So the, the one of the most powerful strategies is this bridge 10 strategy to make a 10, because we can forward that to the nearest 10 Nearest hundred, nearest thousand, and nearest whole with fractions and decimals. So I can make that thinking visible for you on a variety of models. Here's a a 10 frame, have the kids use cubes. They can take some of the four and fill the 10 frame above to show that seven plus four is the same as 10 plus one. We can do that on Reckon Rex, love Reckon Rex as well. So having students see these in a variety of ways. Uh, Similarly, cuisinier rods are my absolute favorite manipulative, I think they're the key. To helping our students move from counting phase of reasoning into additive, from additive into multiplicative, and then into proportional as well. They're really a versatile uh, tool. The numbers exist as a group. So you're seeing them exist as a group, which helps you think about number relationships and and not continuing the counting of a lot lot of our students um, do. So here's an example of one model but different strategies. I could think about my doubles. I could be showing you the bridge 10, but I use the same model of Cuisinier Rod. So uh, again, models and strategies are different. So let's go into a little bit about the four operations and the thinking we want with our students within each. So with addition, This is part one of the running record. There are three parts to a running record. Part one takes about a minute. We're gonna ask the students just to tell us answers of these benchmark expressions uh, that Dr. Nikki created for us. Part two would be to give them extra questions on the protocol sheet in each of these strategy zones to find out what set of numbers are first showing us either super slowdowns or inefficient strategies like counting um, or inaccuracies. They're getting some wrong. Now, this is one protocol for any age student that I talk to. So these first three are fluency within five. Ideally, we like that in place for adding and subtracting by the end of K. For grades one and uh, grade one, it'll be fluent within 10 by adding and subtracting by the end of the year. And then by the end of grade two, being able to have them be fluent within 20. So the, the, the journey of fact fluency for addition and subtraction uh, is really a three-year journey. K1 and 2, we have to get them prepared for that. And the trajectory of the pro- of the progression of the strategies would be to add zero and one to numbers, and then being able to count on uh, two or three, these are really smaller numbers within five, in the hopes that we can decompose numbers a lot to learn that a five can be made up of a three and a two and a four and a one, and a two and a three and a one and a four, right? Having those decomposition pairs can help us uh, know those relationships and those numbers within there. And then we have in grade one this within tens, so the idea that two plus six, I can learn uh, on my way to count on that two, but hopefully eventually they'll be able to have that mastery to know that a six and a two is one way to decompose an eight. So I know if you ask me two plus six, it's got to be an eight. And I also know that eight minus six must be that two. Once I have that understanding of breaking apart. Um, all those numbers. And then you have in grade two, typically, again, every child's on their own journey where their brain is, but you have those doubles, doubles plus one, doubles plus two relationships. Um, and then we have this, the last nine here, adding nine, eight, and seven, we can break apart from the other addend one, two, or three uh, to make that 10. And it's never in a way to dictate to students that they must use any one strategy it's what they feel comfortable with the numbers that are given using an efficient strategy for those numbers. Um, and so doubles are, are, are very frequent and that bridge 10 one as well uh, for our are within 20. Now, in terms of uh, activities we can do to explore these uh, fact fluids, so once we know where to begin, if we know that a student needs to work on there within 10 facts or whatever, there are lots of games on and resources for you on the Padlet. This is a the Kentucky Center for Mathematics is a brilliant uh, website full of incredible resources. One of my favorite educators to learn from is Jennifer Bay Williams. She's written tons and um, and fluency is is a heart of, of many of her books that I just absolutely love as well. Well, she's a professor in Kentucky. So Kentucky Center for Mathematics has turned a lot of the game ideas that she has into online versions and print versions. So it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal site. So I highly recommend you check that out. So the decomposing, the breaking apart numbers up to 10 into all their pairs of numbers will go really far with our students to help their addition fact fluency. So lots of ideas and games there. Also with Cuisinero's, um, you'll notice that there's a a color coding system to them, that the five and 10 are benchmarked like hot colors, like the sun. The two, four, and eight are those warm colors of doubling, two doubling to four, doubling to eight. The one and seven is black and white. Um, and then the multiples of three, three, six, nine being these cool colors. That will help our brain to retrieve it from memory of what these rods are and the relationship that the rods are to each other. So I absolutely love those. You'll find on my Padlet, a five-page document that I created showing, telling you how I get started with these with kids in the classroom and how, whatever age student it is, how I get going with these to help them introduce the Cuisinier rods. And you can use these to explore fluency problem-solving, and the core standards of your grade levels. They're, they're incredibly um, versatile. Now, I can use the Near here to make it visible how we can decompose all the numbers up to 10 into all the pairs that make them up. And we can visually see the patterns happening as we do that when we do it in a systematic way. I remember in a running record asking a student 4 plus 7. And she said uh, 11. I said, well, how do you know? She said, well, I know 5 and 6 is 11. <laughs> and I, I thought she misheard me. And I said, but I asked you four plus seven. She said, well, well, yeah. So I took one from that seven, gave it to the four, and I just changed it to five plus six, which is the fact that I knew. It's <laughs> like, holy cow, right? So the kids, when they grow up learning these number relationships, they'll become much more flexible than I think my rigid mind uh, ever would have thought have. So um, and as you can see here, too, like the even numbers are the ones that have two of the same rod. It's a doubles fact, right? And you also can see, oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, you can see where the community property kicks in, right? The idea that a four and a two is the same as a two and a four. So fabulous way of exploring uh, with addition, these decomposition pairs. Um, and then also my number one favorite resource to use for fact fluency to develop this relationships is the math flips. Berkeley Everett has created sets of these for all four operations. Now division was released a, a few weeks ago, but Always on the math flip, side A helps you solve side B. So the conversations about how is knowing this helpful to me to solve this? So if I know that six and six is 12, how can that help me solve this five plus six? Well, it's just one less. So provides those visuals. He has these with 10 frames and wreck and recs. Uh, for multiplication, he's got dot patterns in, in 10 frames. I mean, it's crazy wonderful. And it's always connecting. How does knowing this help me solve this? So I highly, highly recommend using those uh, with all with all uh, students as well. Again, links on the Padlet. None of these things you have to write down these, these, these web pages. They're all on the Padlet for you. Here's a listing of some of the decks of cards he has for Math Flips. You can see they're organized by different strategies. There are certain ones that help the kids move from counting all to counting on. So he's been so brilliant in creating these and all these different uh, strategy levels with the kids and, and providing those resources for us at no cost. It's it's crazy how generous and, and kind and brilliant he is. So and again, also uh, Jennifer Bay Williams and Gina Kling have written several articles and books together that are amazing. And Kentucky's cha- uh, helped make virtual versions of these, as well as in-print versions of many of the games mentioned in their fabulous book, Math Fact Fluency. So, And you'll notice that they're separating them out even from foundational facts to the higher-derived ones, so it's that, that kind of tiering of these foundational facts and the higher facts. So, again, lots of ideas of playing games. One of my favorite um, games is Lucky 13, where you pass out cards to kids, or this is the virtual one, where they have to get as close to 13 as they can. So they're going to use two cards, because you're working on fact fluency with two add-ins. Use two cards to get as close to 13 as you can. And then these are all free, Gina. Yes, all these resources are free. Um, you get as close to 13 as you possibly can. Um, and you might go over it. So as long as you're just like one away from the target of 13, you're good. And your score is how far away you were from the 13. So they're, they're having to do lots of different math facts thinking. It's not just uh, one fact and they're done. It's like you're going to play with the numbers that you have of can I get closer to 13. So love that game uh, called Lucky 13. And again, you can play it with cards. Um, or play it even online in this version as well. Now, when we think about the future impact of that thinking, we can do number strings with students. I'm doing one here to show you the K5 journey, but we can do number strings with students that link together expressions that have the same thinking. So if we were, let's say, one way of thinking about how we can add numbers together, When I have 98 plus 54, many students that I've met who have done the traditional algorithm or the U.S. traditional algorithm of stacking in the numbers and adding by place value, starting with the ones position, those students tend to want to do that forever and and not think flexibly, but it's very inefficient and it's very hard to do that mental math, right? Whereas in this example of 98 plus 54, 98 is just two away from 100, And that two exists in that 54. So if I'm comfortable decomposing numbers in flexible ways, I can take two from that 54 and reassociate it with a 98 and rename that expression into 100 plus 52. And that's the answer, 152, and I'm done, right? And there's no counting. So often our our kiddos um, do the the traditional algorithm, the US traditional algorithm, and they don't know their facts and they end up counting on with the facts so they their thinking is counting and not that additive reasoning now this one can also graduate to three digit numbers and again this strategy may not work best may not work best for some numbers that were given but it's an option and if it's an option I'm going to use this one and, and you know be kind of smart lazy right get my answer without having to do too much uh, too much work but what's so powerful I think is when we hit uh, adding fractions with same denominators in grade four in the u.s um, standards that four-fifths plus three-fifths For so many kids, it becomes a procedural, add numerators, keep denominators the same. And then it feels weird. We've called them improper, like they're not okay as fractions if the numerator is more than the denominator. And then we have to go through a whole rigmarole of trying to convert that fraction greater than one into a mixed number. But if we explore this through decomposing to make friendlier numbers for our brain, four fifths is just a fifth away from a whole. And that one-fifth exists in a three-fifth. So when our students learn about fractions, the whole number sense trajectory resets itself. Kids need to be oral counting by fractional amounts. They have to be experiencing that that unit fraction and the decomposing of fractional amounts. So we can unlock this journey of just take one-fifth from the three-fifths and rename that into a whole plus two-fifths. And I'm done. It's one and two-fifths, right? Similarly with decimals. I had so many kids in my classroom. I... I had in my lesson plans adding decimals for one day because I thought to myself, well, how hard is it really? They've been adding forever. They've been doing like six digit numbers in the you know, this traditional algorithm in grade five. All I have to show them is how to line up decimal places and then just add as usual and plunk it in the answer. Right. For me, it was all about that answer getting because I didn't know anything better. But now I know and I have kids that after I taught them how to do that, they weren't successful to mimic it back to me. So I thought they were my struggling learners because they weren't just following the procedure. They would tell me the answer was thirteen hundredths, And I said to myself, they had no number sense. But I did nothing to help build their number sense either, right? It was just, oh. But now I know that I could be exploring it in these horizontal ways so kids aren't tempted to just to stack them and add them up. But to think about eight-tenths is two-tenths away from a hole. And I can get that from within that five-tenths. Or maybe I even want to break apart that eight-tenths into five-tenths and three-tenths, decompose it, and combine my two five-tenths together to make a whole, right? Like that thinking is that flexibility for the making sense of the students. Uh, on their part, they're constructing their understanding of that. So the future impact is, is crazy powerful. I and mean, we, If we begin thinking in that way, and then we come back to this traditional U.S. algorithm where I'm adding eight plus seven, but I don't know what it is, so I'm counting on the seven from the eight. And then I'm regrouping like it's just it, it's, it's counting it's, they're not doing any additive reasoning and having any number sense. So for a, di- so a summary of, of this addition that there, we want to help move them into that additive reasoning and beyond the counting on and counting all, we want them thinking about what groupings of numbers within them can I reassociate to make them friendlier for my brain? That the heart of that thinking is to break apart those numbers, put them back together in, in friendlier ways. Right. For all sets of numbers that we have. Now, subtraction, I find I find each of the four operations is very different from each other. I find it's the Achilles heel of the vast majority of students that I meet. And that's only because I haven't even asked them about division (laughs) because adding and subtracting and multiplying are taking out the kid. That's enough on our plate. Right. I'm sure if I talked about division with kids, I'd find the same thing as subtraction because we don't typically do as much instructional time with facts on the operations of subtraction and division. But it is so crucial that we do, and we can connect it to the core standards that we're working on. So let's talk for a second about the heart of subtraction. Once again, this is the protocol for the subtraction interview on the math running record. The goal by the end of kindergarten is to have students be able to subtract fluently, right, flexibly, efficiently, and accurately within five, by the end of grade one, within 10, and by the end of grade two, within the twenty but I don't find this to be as linear a journey as I do the addition. Addition, I find they go from one to the next and one to the next. And actually if a student at six plus seven, that first doubles plus one fact, if they tell me I'm breaking apart that six to make a 10 with a seven, I'm zooming them to the end to work on all the facts, do whatever strategies that you want. You've got the freedom to do that because they have that flexible thinking, right? But in subtraction, I find that, the within 10 gets the vast majority of kids, including upper elementary students, because they've so often gotten to a, a habit of subtraction as being count back. They only think of subtraction as being a, a situation where things get removed or broken or get eaten. So they think about counting back and removing that subtrahend from the menu end. So when I ask them in the zone of within 10, the extra questions that we have in part two, the real the the, the first part one takes about a minute. But the part two is a good seven, eight minute conversation with the child asking them, how did you do it? What did your brain just do? Show me on your fingers. Tell me out loud. It's that real deep dive into each of these strategy zones and find the first one on this progression where we find some issues. That's where they're going to just begin working to continue on their fluency journey. Um, But within the zone of within 10 is the question eight minus six. And that's a telltale one for me. Even my upper elementary students, there are students will count back the six from the eight. So they don't even know they could count up from the six. That's a big telltale thing for me. So if I don't catch them within the 10, these tend to go really quickly again. The, The differences of one, the teen number removing at the 10 and the teen number removing the ones. But here's where I get a lot of kids. The same child who knows that 7 plus 7 is a 14 for a doubles fact does not recognize that 14 minus 7 is the related half fact. So you've got to have the, to be able to have them practice so that they can visually recognize those half facts. 18 minus 6, sorry, 18 minus 9, 16 minus 8, 12 minus 6, all those half facts to connect that to the addition. And this progression of addition and subtraction, it is not do all the addition and then start subtraction. It's adding and subtracting within five, adding and subtracting within 10, adding and subtracting within 20. That's the journey we want our students to go on instructionally. Okay, so um, the heart of subtraction, however, is this box, which is all the teen minuens taking away a single digit number. (laughs) That's where our students are being hung up. And they're being hung up even in the upper elementary grades as they're doing the traditional US algorithm of subtraction within the context of a division problem. I see them all the time. They're doing their regrouping and then they're counting back the facts in that subtraction problem. So we've got to fix this. We've got to fix this. So again, I have another chart for you of the progression of subtraction in terms of counting all and counting on and what it looks like um, and the heart of subtraction, which is that flexibility of knowing I can remove the subtrahend. But I also another context for subtraction is the distance between the numbers. It's that comparison where if you have $15 and I have eight, how much more money do I need to have the same as you? Right. I didn't give any money away or buy anything. I'm phrasing it into that comparison story problem of additive thinking. What how much more do I need to get up to that 15 to encourage our students to start with the eight and they can count on one by one to get to the 15 but eventually let's use 10 as that bridge start with the eight it's two more to get to 10 five more to get to 15 so the distance is seven right okay so um and again with subtraction with the subtraction within 10 and the decomposition will help us in this journey to get that fluency within 10 set so when you if i know that a six or an eight can get broken apart into six and two When you ask me eight minus six, I know it's two, because that's one way, it's a decomposition pair. So that can go a long way for us. And here's a visualization, concrete, pictorial, and abstract of the thinking, when I'm thinking removal, that if our kids are counting back one by one, we can encourage them to count back in two chunks using 10 as a bridge. So 15 minus five gets me to 10, minus the three more that's in that eight. Again, I've got to know that decomposition of eight in order to do this. Um, But 10 minus 3, I know is 7, because 7 plus 3 makes that 10, right? We're helping move our students from that counting back one by one. And alternatively, we also want to use that that additive thinking as well, where we can start with the 8. So here's the Cuisineau rods making a length of 15, and here's the 8 rod again. In this previous slide, I put the 8 on the right-hand side. For any student who's trying to count back one by one, it can help them see the more efficient of taking away in two chunks. But we might want, so there are times, sometimes the numbers that were given, it's helpful to add up. And so this is how I do my subtraction math facts. I start with the subtrahend, how far to 10, how far to the teen number, bam, those two go together. And I do it within two seconds. You wouldn't know that I didn't uh, recall it from memory, but it happens really, really fast. So we've got to have the students have that flexibility because depending on the numbers we're given, different strategies become most efficient. So this is the the book Dr. Nikki and Dr. Allison Mello and I um, have written on fluency doesn't just happen with addition and subtraction. We are currently working on literally the the multiplication and division right now. So that that is on its way um, of being created. But in our book, we've got lots of ideas for Uh, concrete, pictorial, and abstract explorations of all the strategies for adding and subtracting within each strategy separately. So we've given you lots of ideas for each of the strategy zones that match up to the running record, Um, different ideas of what you can do, tons of ideas, concrete, pictorial, and abstract uh, to explore these number relationships. I love uh, also a routine. This is um, created by, it's called I Have, You Need, and Kim Montague, uh, who works as a colleague with Pam Harris, uh, and Pam Harris is at that site, she had that graphic for us of the development of mathematical reasoning, but she's got a webpage called com, and they've got a great podcast together, the two of them. And so there's a routine where you can say, if I, uh, if, if I have 12, how many do you need if you have eight? So that we're thinking about additive. So from eight to get up to 12, it's two more to get to 10, two more to get to 12. So it's four. But I can extend that and make my first number, right, my minuend, be any other number to encourage that additive reasoning. So what if I have a goal of 20 and I have 13? Well, it's seven more. How do you know? Well, because seven and three make a 10, so it must be to get to the nearest 10 is seven. Where if I go to 50, right? Where if I go to 100? Using the pairs of numbers that make a 100 is fabulous foundational work for decimal work right? And even three-digit numbers or even decimals and fractions. So it's not limited to any sets of numbers, but it's like giving them a target number, starting with another one. Can you use thinking of chunks with friendlier numbers to find out that distance, right? Very different thinking than that removal thought process. Also having kids play uh, uh, games like war, where they're turning over two cards. Typically they turn over their two cards and compare the two, but what if you have them turn over the two cards and the winner has to say how much more their card is than their partner. It's not just turn it over. Yours bigger as like grab them, but you've got an eight and I have a five. How much more is eight than five, right? Jack up the thinking a little bit more. You can have them turn over two cards, add them together. Whoever has the larger sum can be the winner if they say how much more their sum is than their partner, right? It can be lots of rigorous thinking within that, that game, even like to two digit numbers as well. Um, and also I love the routine of double and having because we want our students to be able to know those doubles and even to double larger numbers, that'll become incredibly helpful with with multiplication where we can always double and half the factors we're working with. We also can triple and third and quadruple and fourth, but it's about that relationship that we can be um, playing around a little bit with our our factors as we multiply. So uh, some future impact here of this journey is, let's say we did a number string of 10 minus six. Well, it's gonna be four because six and four make a 10, right? Well, then 50 minus six. Well, it's gotta have a four in that one's place, and I know it's 44. And then how about a hundred minus sixteen? I can jack it up a little bit, but I'm always falling back on that last step of with a six, it being a four. So four minus one and six tenths, students get used to kind of lining them up, but there's not a decimal place right now in that four, and the kids get confused and how they line it up. But if I use reasoning of four minus one and a six-tenth, I can take away that one to three, take away six tenths, it must be two and four tenths, right? So that kind of thinking we can help with our students on this journey. Here's a set of number strings to show you the progression of one way we could think about this would be to add up, right, 98 to 102. Lots of students that I give that problem to, even third, fourth grade, they go to an algorithm. They don't think about it's two more to 100 and two more to 102, it's it's just four, right? So this this, this, um, impact, starting with basic facts, 12 minus 8, I can add up 8 plus 2 plus 2, can graduate to larger numbers and larger sets of numbers, decimals, fractions, uh, multi-digit work, right? And again, we go back to the, these traditional U.S. algorithms for subtraction. It's almost startling, like, oh, my gosh, like, what is the kids thinking? And it's typically counting. They're counting back, right? So the key to subtraction is that flexibility of knowing we can remove Uh, The subtrahend, and we also could add up and find the distance. We've got to know those two different meanings that involve subtraction because depending on the numbers, I do different strategies. With this one, I would add up, but with this one, I'd remove 10, remove one, right? So it's not like one's better than another. We want to use efficient strategies given the numbers uh, that we're given. As we move into multiplication now, the, the heart of multiplication again, another chart for the journey of this, our students still can be doing counting all. Uh, within the context of multiplication, I watched a student, a fifth grader two weeks ago, do seven times five, and he went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It does not tell me that he is a low student or he is he a struggling learner. It's telling me he's not had enough practice building the neural pathways in his brain to develop more sophisticated ways of thinking. And we got to we gotta get on that because he can learn it. I know that he can, right? So um, so this counting all progresses to the skip counting on this journey, but we don't wanna leave it in skip counting and then have them try to learn them by memorization. We wanna explore these flexible strategies, breaking apart the factors in a variety of ways um, to, to, to capitalize on things that they know so they can figure out ones that they need to know. And I can always tell the students who have memorized their multiplication facts only, I think that when parents give birth to a baby, they know the one thing they're gonna have to do with that child is to help them learn multiplication math facts and of course we do what we always have known and so parents think about memorization of the math facts but i find when the kids have done that which if they know them from memory like that then that's great but i do want to make sure they have a foundational understanding and disposition to try to figure out other problems as well that might be harder for them so what i always do is I, if i give the running record and they ace all the multiplication facts then i'll ask them 4 times 17 and the students that I, that have not had the development of number sense yet and flexible strategies will tell me i didn't learn that one yet and they do not answer me Other students might say, say, well, I don't know it. I don't know it offhand, but... I can double the, the 17 to 34 and double that to 68. Like they have some kind of way, whether it's breaking it apart by the tens and the ones and distributing it, right? They have a way to deal with it. And their disposition has improved because they're, they're, they're wanting to try it. They know they can figure it out. So again, the thinking within a multiplication, there can be some, some actual counting one by one. There's skip counting. And I can make that visual for you on a model of the number line here. But let's say like times nine, we can explore that times nine is one group less than times 10. And I can model that thinking for everyone to see and make that thinking visible on an open number line or a number line here or an open number line where I've, I've gone to the 10 groups and removed a group, right? All about making that visible uh, to students. With Cuisenaire rods, of course, the rods are existing as a group. And so I can build them an area model with them with the Cuisenaire rods, this four eight rods, but I can say to them, Are there any eights you know for sure? Maybe they know three eights is 24, in which case I can move that rod up. I mean, I just have to add eight to the the 24. Or I can say, do you know two eights? Oh yeah, eight and eight is 16. Well, look what we have left in our four times eight, right? So we're visualizing these groups and being flexible in, in what facts do you know and how can I work from there? And again, our heart is to get them into multiplicative reasoning. So when they don't know a fact from memory, what do they think? It's not skip counting. It's going to be multiplicative reasoning, right? So for example, here, uh, having a hundred beaded wreck and wreck, I can show up a, a model here of four by six, four rows of six. Now, some students do count one by one, just tells me they're in a counting all phase of reasoning. They might, um, uh, and then, then that means you skip count. In fact, I've had many students tell me uh, that they did five, 10, 15, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. So kids make hybrids of these strategies. They skip count and then they count one by one. When they get to a multiple, they don't know the next one of, they just count that one by one. So, for example, this flexibility, I can break apart six groups of something into five groups and one group, which is easier attainable for our kiddos. And someone else might see this as well, I know two sixes is 12, so I can just double that. So multiplying by a four can be thought of as double and double, right? Another way is maybe I can think about, well, I know three times four is 12. Well, six times four must be double that because times six is six groups must be double of the three groups. So, again, it's never to dictate what strategy kids must use. I don't teach this to kids. I'm having the opportunity in a number talk and in a math tool talk like this to have kids make sense of those quantities with groups within it that they know for sure. That's that multiplicative reasoning they can be doing. Now, the progression of the strategies You know, there are lots of different phenomenal educators out there writing, you know, have books and and articles on fluency. So I can't say that the suggested progression is exactly matching everyone that I've read, but what they do all have in common is the foundational facts come first. The twos, fives, tens. The zero and one are the properties of zero and one, but then you have the tens, fives, and the twos. And if we can relate the fives as being half of 10, that has been life-changing for me, of me doing mental math, with decimals and, and middle school level proportional reasoning questions, I use five and a half of 10 all the time because it also progresses to 50 being half of a 100 groups, right? Or, or 0.5 being half of a whole. It's crazy powerful how, how this translates itself. Now, the reason why the twos come here, the kids may certainly know their doubles by this point in the progression, but if we just ensure they have all their doubles facts in place, we can then relate those together to the four facts and then relate the four facts to the eight facts, which is did not stop a student from using eight as being five groups and three if they want or breaking apart the six into five and one. It's never to dictate that, but it's to explore it in ways of making, helping them make connections of these number relationships. Here you have three and six coming next to capitalize on the six being double of the threes. Nine's a fabulous strategy of breaking it apart by doing one group, le- not breaking it apart, do one group less than 10. Seven facts, by the time you get here, if you done the community property all the way through, the only fact left is seven times seven, but we always can break apart seven groups into five groups and two groups, which are these foundational facts, right? And more attainable to many, many more of our students than if they're trying to skip count by sevens or eights, right? So that is the trajectory on the math running record uh, by Dr. Nikki's research of suggests that progression. But again, I've heard different suggestions for progressions of those strategies, we can't hurt a child by exploring number relationships, right? It's just having that um, that exploration. So here's an example with Cuisineer rods of how uh, eight groups of six, this is a six rod. So eight groups of six, I can think about, well, do I know four groups of six? Well, that's 24. So eight groups is double that and if i don't know the fours i can think double first and double it again for the four and double it again for the eight so just making this thinking visible uh for the kiddos again the math flips are there are tons of them for multiplication as well we have that discussion inside a of how many is in that array well it's a four by eight array it turns out to be 32 however our students get there and then how does that relate to side b how does knowing that four by eight array is 32 helped me solve an eight by eight. So you can see that it's just a double, right? And he turned this one gray. So you can visually see that relationship. So these are his related doubles facts, set of cards. Um, but I just love those. And I love the, the concrete and pictorial of, you know, building it on a wreck and wreck and then doing it on grid paper, breaking it apart into these partial products, which of course can graduate to... Multi-digit numbers breaking apart by place value, or maybe other breaking apart ways that are that are easier for us, right? So exploring the basic facts visually in a variety of ways, different colors, really helpful. Here's one of my favorite games, and I have this again. All these resources are for you on the Padlet. Uh, this game is the multiplication game, also called it, I've also heard it called the product game, where um, you take turns and you first place your arrows somewhere on down below. And then you have to only move the arrow of your color for your turn. And you take turns with your partner where you can only move your color arrow and you're going to be recording the product of those two factors on the game board above. The goal is to get three in a row, horizontally, vertically or diagonally. So let's say at this point in the game, green has gone twice, purple already went here. And so the purple person has moved the arrow to the seven because they want to own this spot. They want to have one connected to the one they already have. Then they might be able to win with this guy or that guy. So they're going to choose to move their arrow to the seven. They can't move the green one. That's player one. Player one shows the four. So I have to live with that. So what I can do is that I can own that spot, right? The purple person owned that spot. It's now the player one, the green person's turn. They have to move this arrow to any of the other factors, but they have to use the factor that player two chose. So they have to use the seven. When player two made this move, they're going to learn quickly playing this game that you have to also think about what the factor is that your partner might use to win, So when choosing this seven times four to own that spot, we can't just be uh, focused on ourselves to get them in a row. We have to think, well, I can't give my partner a factor that they can then win the game with. And it turns out that that turn did happen. The seven, I can, this person can just move that the green arrow to the five and win with the 35. So this game lends itself to being played hundreds of times. uh, And the thinking is so good. Practicing all these different math facts, of course, encouraging the students to explain their thinking during the playing of the game. How do you know? Great game for parents to play with kids. But I'm also very aware there's a trajectory of learning that, that students, and, I, and they're kind of like three phases I kind of see. I see a version with foundational facts. So I created two other versions of that game. I have the uh, foundational facts only, 5, 10, and 2, and 1. And then I have a version of the related doubles of 2, 4, 8. Now students don't have to use the strategy of double-double to do that. But that's, this game is designed to show that connection of twos, fours, and eights. So that when they progress past those facts, now they're ready to play the one that has all the facts in it. I just don't want there ever to be a game in a classroom where certain kids can't play it because they're told, oh, you can't play that game yet. You're not ready for it. That's just so demoralizing and and not okay in a classroom. We've got to have these fun and engaging, really good rigorous thinking games available for every learner. Um, So I have that for you to download uh, from the palette. those different versions of that. Um, Thinking about number strings we can do with multiplication, like six times eight is 48. How does knowing that help me solve 60 times eight? Well, it's going to be 10 times more, right? So it's 480. Well, how can that help me solve 59 times eight? When students rush to the traditional, again, U.S. standard algorithm, it's the basic facts. And very often they don't know their basic facts and they get stuck or they skip count within that. If we can relate that thinking of groupings that a nine groups is one group less than 10 groups, I can then forward that to 59 is one group of 8 less than 60. So if I've built this number string of that relationship, I can more easily have the students have that disposition of oh, 59 times 8. It might look tricky, but once I have an attack strategy for that that makes a lot more sense and easier attainable, it's no longer going to look tricky. I'll have the disposition of yep, I can figure that out. I can do that. So I love Pam Harris's tagline of the math is figureoutable, right? Well, with that disposition for all of our kids. Another example is like a ratio table where if I think of like this higher uh, application of like 45 times 16, I can use groupings that I know. So if I think about 45 groups of 16, maybe I want to think about, well, one group of 16 is 16, which means that 100 groups of 16 is 1,600. Why am I thinking of 100? I want to get to 45. And in my next step, I'm going to go to 50. I know that 50 groups is half of 100. So if I know 100 groups is 1,600, then half of that must be half the amount. So 50 groups must be 800. Now I'm only five groups of 16 away from the actual answer, right? And how do I get to five groups? Well, 10 groups of 16 is 160. So five groups must be 80. And now I have my 45 groups. I've got 50 groups subtracting five groups. So my 800 minus 80 is 720. So it's one way that I can get there of that disposition of I can figure it out and I'm using number relationships and place value amounts, which is very different than stacking it with an algorithm and doing five times six and and then write that the whole single digit and then putting a zero down below and they don't realize why it's just, uh, it, it just causes a lot of our students to feel like they're not mathematicians, that math isn't for them and it's just completely not true. And when we think again about the traditional U.S. standard algorithm for this, again, we kind of like, wow, that, what is their thinking in that? Very often it's skip counting. They're not doing thinking of the reasoning. So in multiplication, right, we want to help move them into multiplicative reasoning, using number relationships to help them use a fact that they know to figure out one they don't know. And that flexibility, again, those par- partial products is going to help us out uh, tremendously. Now, division isn't quite as involved as um, the multiplication in terms of basic facts, But I do want to share here that these first three on the division protocol, the dividing zero by any number, divide by a one and divide a number by itself, take out a lot of kids who have other facts, division facts in place. The thinking of those first three is really difficult for the kids. So I never stop a running record in these first three because it throws a lot of kids off. So I have to have a conversation with them about that. But you can see here the next level would be those foundational facts, the ones that were connected to the foundational facts of multiplication, the dividing by two, tens and fives. Now this is not dividing by a seven. This box represents dividing by the half fact. So again, division is very closely related to multiplication in terms of the thinking, the research behind the, the, the thinking with division is very heavily in the, to think multiplication. So when you're, you're asked 14 divided by seven, Think seven times what is 14? Oh, seven times two. So that, that working on the multiplication math facts is so crucial to be able to unlock um, this division uh, thinking as well. And then you have the, the more higher, you know, derived factors again um, as well. Right now, just quickly, there are two different contexts of division that I want to make sure that we're all aware of that. There's that partitive division, whereas the thinking of fair share where I, I know the number of groups and they're each going to get the same amount. So if Kaplan has 12 cupcakes and I'm solving 12 divided by 4, in a partitive context, it would be, I've got 12, I give one to each person, and that 8 is left, and I give one more to each person, now there's 4 left, give one more to each person, my pile is gone, I give everyone 3, right? But it also is a meaning of quotative division, which is the measurement version of division, which is the size of the group is known, is how many groups, that's the unknown. So that would be similar to, I take away four from my 12 and I make one group. I take away four and make one group. Take away four, the last four, make a group. I've made three groups. So this is the work of cognitively guided instruction, these these problem types. Um, Thomas Carpenter and his colleagues, fabulous, um, fabulous book about the thinking of the kids again. But in terms of division, math, fact, fluency, you know, if, we, if we're having kids fair share of 36 divided by nine is just so inefficient. So what is the help? What can we help our students move in their thinking to in that moment of 24 divided by six? Okay, six times what is 24? Numbers are popping in my mind. So what do I do? I don't want kids skip counting. I want them thinking multiplicatively and the area model can help us get there. So with Cuisinier Rods here, you're seeing a distance of 24 and I can think in quotatively, How many sixes are in 24? So I can line up the six rods and see how many of them match up to be that 24. And there might be a remainder with division situations, of course. But then what I have the students do is take those same four rods and make it into an area model where the divisor is this vertical distance and the horizontal distance is what we're trying to figure out. So if you think about the, the traditional way of writing a division problem, right? We have the area of 24. We have a vertical distance of six. If I find out this distance up here, then that's the quotient. So 24 divided by six is four. There are four in that distance across the top, right? And that model will forward itself to other sets of numbers we're working with. So if I'm asked 56 divided by eight, and I think, okay, eight times what is 56? Oh, I don't know. Well, what do we know? And a lot of students that I meet know 8 times 5 is 40. We can use that as a benchmark. So if I know that 8 times 5 is already a chunk of 40, I can decompose this 56 and say, well, what's left in that 56? 16. How many 8s is that? Two of them. So the 16 is that area in here. It's two more groups of 8. What was this total distance? It's 7. That's that thinking and the multiplicative reasoning that our students can do in that moment to figure this out. And this will then translate to all sets of numbers, including polynomials in high school. It's crazy powerful, this model we can do. Here's an example with a, a larger number, let's say, 256 divided by eight. Well, if I can think about my eight, my multiples of eight and multiple, multiples of 10, right? <laughs> that I can think about, well, I can do an eight by 30, that's 240 there's a big chunk. What do I have left? 16 more. It's two more. So it can be 32. This thinking can do a, a unlocking a lot of mental math with our kids. If you give them the opportunity to, to wrestle with this as a mental math problem, then of course they can write it on paper as well. But this thinking is that connecting it to multiplication. So powerful, right? So the division summary is we want to help them move into that multiplicative reasoning and that flexibility of being able to use those partial products and break apart that that dividend into chunks that are easier for our brain to work with. Really super, super powerful. And for the last few minutes here, thank you so much for hanging in. I know it's late, but I want to give you some ideas for games, for any operation, any set of strategies. Have the kids sort flashcards or dominoes by the strategy that they would use to solve it. Don't sort them by the sum or the difference or the the product. Have them sort it and articulate what strategy they would use. I was a, a small group Uh, instruction person when I was a math coach helping in classrooms, and I would just change the titles of the strategies, whatever the students were working on. We gave a math running record to every one of our students. We actually gave them two operations, so we knew exactly where they had to work uh, in in two operations. So then in my workstation, the fluency station, they would come to me. I could put the different strategies that they're working on and some to practice that came before it. Then the next group that came over, I always had an other column because you do not want to pre-sort dominoes. (laughs) That's just a nightmare. No, thank you. Um, so instead you have a column for other, if it doesn't fit a strategy you're currently working with, yeah, it goes in the other column, right? So, so that's a great idea of sorting things by the strategy you can use to solve it. These games again are on the padlet for you with a description of how to play the games. Again, this is a game called Kaboom, where uh, you can write the expressions again, any operation, any strategies within it, but I color code the strategy zones so I can put them in different baggies. So I can differentiate what problems are in the cup for that child. We're all playing this fun game, but some kids have in there every subtraction fact, and some kids have all the facts within 10 subtracting. They don't have the higher T's because they're not ready for those yet, right? With that purposeful practice in their zone. Another game is uh, Power Towers. You put the expression on the bottom of the cup and the answer on the inside of the cup. So as partners, you can double check my answers, make sure I'm right. If you get it right and explain your thinking, you get to put it on the tower and build these big towers of the cups. But you can see, again, I'm differentiating it. This is my baggie of my times four facts, plus some of the review that come previous in the progression. Here's a baggie full of just attraction within 10. There aren't going to be any in the teen numbers if that child is needing to work on subtraction within 10 facts. You can differentiate those experiences, those fun and engaging ways. And lastly, we've got to enjoy that, we've got to um, get the, the parents involved in this journey. So I do a lot of work with parent nights with districts, facilitating that learning and, and having parents and kids explore math in these fun and engaging ways. And I really think it's the key to help the math fact problem because. I hear all the time, the kids don't know their math facts, if we can help the parents understand how we can explore math facts in these ways that build number sense, um, they can give the productive practice at home playing the games. That's a zone that parents can help out with and feel comfortable and not get uh, sent back to their anxiety and dread of their own childhood journeys learning of math. So there are some phenomenal educators giving free resources specifically for parents so there are podcast episodes for them on the Math is Figureoutable podcast. There are web pages like Math Before Bed and Bedtime Math that are designed to give prompts for parents to talk to their kids about their thinking. There are Facebook groups. Math is Figureoutable has one, as does um, Dr. Hilary Kreisberg and Matthew Berend, Dr. Uh, Matthew Berend, who have um, written a book of adding parents to the equation. They have a Facebook support group for parents. So I wanted to connect Parents to these amazing resources out there that are designed for them. So please feel free to share uh, both links you're getting tonight. The the Math RR one is fluency based um, for the math running records, but really it's it's fluency resources. And this one is for any person working with kids and wanting to learn about math now. That there are supports and resources that are free uh, out there for them. So I just love this quote here. It's not just for the kids. It's educators that I meet. It's it's cashiers checking me out of grocery stores and I'm wearing my math t-shirts, right? It's for everyone. It's not the math itself. It's the that feeling of the embarrassment and confusion they had that they felt that they weren't you know, able to do that work when they absolutely can. We explore it in these fun and engaging ways and in visual ways that make the thinking concrete, pictorial and abstract and make those connections. It can be a passion. It can, it can be life-changing, truly. Um, So thank you so much for joining in tonight. I know those those of you in the East Coast with me, it is late at night, but thank you so much for joining in. And um, I do do a monthly or bi-monthly newsletter that I I, I connect you to resources that are out there and things that I'm learning about because I'm immersed in this world And I know you don't have time for that. So I wanna help connect you to all these wonderful things happening, these brilliant educators who are kind and generous out there. So you can go to my webpage, uh, AnnaliseRecord.com and and sign up for that uh, that newsletter. But feel free to be in touch at any time. I love talking about math and and to talk about the life-changing difference we can make in kids when we explore and create a foundation of thinking that follows them all the way through their their math journeys. So,
0: all right, well, thank you very much, Annalise, for sharing with us tonight. And, um, you know, if uh, you know some people that left a little bit early because it was late on the the uh, East Coast, uh, feel free to uh, tell them, hey, you need to make sure you uh, watch the recording because uh, every moment of tonight's session had lots of great resources. Um, so hopefully you caught them all. But if you didn't catch many of them, uh, check out that the hyperlink that's at the top of our chat. Uh, that is uh, the
1: Uh, that padlet
0: that's the padlet thank you Mm -hmm. at www.tinyurl.com forward slash math rr and then I also put the link for the uh, one for the parents um, in our chat as well that's www.tinyurl.com forward slash record parents so thank you very much Annalise for sharing with us thank Um, you for having me not a So glad to have you here. Um, And everyone that's in attendance, thank you for joining us tonight. Our next presentation is in two weeks on February 22nd. The session is Developing Mathematical Literacy Through Equitable Teaching Practices. The recommended grade level is K through 12 and post-secondary. And the speaker for that session will be Farshid uh, Saif. Uh, I believe I pronounced that correctly. Thanks everyone. Have a wonderful evening. I hope to see you in two weeks.